All right, well, good morning. morning. Welcome to Emmaus Church Community. My name is Nathan. I want to invite Nick and Stephanie uh, up here with me this morning. Um, Nick Zerwas serves on our leadership board. Stephanie Van Tassel also serves on our leadership board. Thanks. And uh, there's a couple of things that we want to start with this morning. Just share a few announcements with you right up front. Um, These are some things that are important, but they rarely fit in what we typically do on a Sunday morning. So I'm just going to take a couple of minutes before we get started to uh, share three signs of health. These are some good things, and together I just want you to know about them so we can celebrate them together. Here's the first thing. Uh, For a long time, any adult who's worked with our kids in our kids' ministry uh, has been background checked through LiveScan. So it's important for us that we communicate to you that that continues to happen the, the adjustment, the increase in, in this regard is that now 100% of adults in this church who work with kids, whether in the kids' ministry or even on the worship teams, anything like that, has gone through a two-hour interactive training that enables people to recognize and respond to signs of sexual abuse. So this is important because we want our place to be healthy. We want our ministry to kids to be healthy. We want in a, in a culture and in an age when all kinds of craziness happens, Um, We want this to be a safe place, a truly safe place, and a place where people can respond in health and restoration. Um, So it never really fits anywhere to say stuff like that, but it's important to us, and uh, we feel like ultimately it's a result of the strong effort that Denise is putting into increasing the health of our ministry to kids. Amen? All right, so that's the first one. Okay, second one takes a little more context. Um, Let me explain a little bit about the structure, how the Nazarene church works. Nathan is accountable to two different groups. He's accountable to the board. Um, So there's a group of uh, people who are elected from the community here. So Nathan's accountable to the board. And he's also accountable to um, the district superintendent, which is Steve Scott. He's preached here in the past. And he oversees about 60 churches in the Mm -hmm. area here. Um, And every four years, kind of like the Olympics, every four years, uh, we go through a, a review, basically a review of Nathan and the church that um, Steve Scott runs, and the board kind of goes through um, answering several different inventories and um, kind of looking at the health of our community and the health of, of Nathan. Um, and over the past several months, we've been going through that review, and we just had, uh, two weeks ago, we just had the kind of final meeting where we, we got the results of the, of the review, and it's another area of health, and Stephanie's going to tell you about it. Right, and if we're talking about the Olympics, um, the reason that Nate wanted us to say this part instead of him is because he was on the podium, he's got mm. gold, we're really excited about Thanks that. So much. Um, <clears throat> but uh, no, we're just really thankful. Yeah, let's all give him a hand. Uh, this four-year review, he was affirmed as an effective leader, as a man of character, and someone who is effectively leading our church, um, adhering to the adhering to scripture and our mission. And I think this comes at a really critical juncture for our church because we're in the middle of so much transition. So it's great to have that affirmation um, from this outside board that, um, or this outside entity that we have a healthy pastor and congregation. Thanks. It actually comes as like a, it looks like a report card. So there's lots of comments on there, but there are also numbers. So you look down the numbers and it's like five, 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 five. So yeah. Even the Russian. Yeah. Good. Good. Thanks, guys. Appreciate that. Stay up here with me for a few more minutes. One more sign of health. Um, Last week, we kicked off our first ever capital campaign. Uh, We're raising money to purchase a theater downtown. You've probably heard about it. 
From the very beginning, this whole theater project has exceeded our expectations. God is affirming, we believe, this vision for restoration as the focus of our next season in a whole variety of ways. So last Sunday, in case you missed it, I challenged us to raise $30,000 in 30 days. And here's why I chose 30000 because that's basically the amount of money we bring in in a month. And so the hope was that we would continue to bring in 30000 a month to support the current ministries of our church. And on top of that, we could raise an additional 30000 in order to support the future ministries of our church. And I'm just totally humbled uh, because I am in admiration of you and I am grateful because it's a joy to be on this journey with you to share with you this really exciting news that since Sunday, in six days, you have given 24500 and pledged an additional 12000 for a total of 36500 in six days. Yeah, super exciting. And all of that is with just 19% of the church responding, which means there's a whole lot of you who I'm sure have big plans to jump on board. Um, so this, this is actually fantastic because 99% of the church voted to buy the theater. So if 99% of the church gives a little bit in support of that vote, we're going to pay off this, this small loan really, really fast. And so that really becomes our, our next goal. We've surpassed the $30,000 goal in, in a few days. And so now our goal is 100% participation. Uh, maybe you hear a number and you're like, I can't participate in that. It's too much. Um, maybe you can say, I can participate at some level now. Or maybe you're like, I've got something that's going to blow that 30 grand away and I've just been waiting till the last second <laughs> to, so I can be part of a big story. All right. Thank you. Um, we are excited. We'll continue to share. We'll just share updates throughout September. And then uh, there are cards in the baskets. If you're on the aisle, would you grab a basket under your seat, pass it down. If you want to hand off your contact information or if you'd like to participate in this, in this giving effort, you can grab a card, one of these pledge cards, fill it out, and later in the morning, bring it over to that table over here on the south side of the building and grab a tile as a, as a physical reminder of your gift, stick it on your fridge or something as a reminder that you are investing in the restoration of the city and of the church here in this city. All right? Um, good. I'll ask the ushers to pass Bibles around in just a second. But first, let's, let's pray together, thanking God for these signs of health. Go ahead, Steph. God, thank you so much for all of these reasons to celebrate. Thank you, God, for your leadership of our congregation. Thank you for your presence that's here. Thank you that we get to share life, discover Jesus, and see the restoration of all things here in our community. We pray that you would continue to bless uh, this congregation, each individual and us together, and that your hand would continue to rest on Nathan. Use him, God, as your hands, your feet, and your mouthpiece. And we're just trusting you for this next season as we grow together. Lord, um, just show yourself to be powerful and miraculous and big and beautiful in our congregation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you both. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right. Uh, if, the, if you'd like a Bible, raise your hand. We're going to be in the Psalms today, starting a new series um, on emotional health today. Raise your hand if you like a Bible. We'll be in Psalm uh, 139 in a little bit, uh, which is about the middle of the Bible, a big section of poetry and songs called the Psalms, and they're numbered. So just find the one numbered 139. Essentially, this new series that I'm starting today is about growing up spiritually. Uh, this new series is about maturing as followers of Christ. It's about recognizing and working through some of the personal hang-ups 
some of the relational issues that we wrestle with, some of the struggles that we would consider sort of personal or internal struggles. Um, and I'm going to talk about several topics over the next few weeks, and some of them are not going to seem especially spiritual, but that's exactly why I want to talk about them, because these are the kinds of things that end up hindering our spiritual growth. We can tend to think that our emotional health and our spiritual health are, are disconnected, when in fact it's our lack of health on an emotional level, which usually kind of creates a ceiling for spiritual maturity. And so we've got to address the emotional things. And in fact, they're not two sort of dualistic realities. They're very blended and, and connected. Uh, I think increasingly our church is feeling compelled to work towards the restoration of all things. And so that restorative work, friends, it needs to happen in here first, if it's ever going um, to make an effect out there in, in others. And so in order for us to be healthy, in order for us to be whole people, we've got to talk about more than just some of the classic topics of spiritual health. We've got to talk about more of the emotional, all kinds of a variety of sorts of health uh, that surround us. So today, or that are a part of our life, today what I want to focus on is um, the importance of honesty. Almost everyone thinks honesty is important, and yet we are in a time and in a culture where almost everyone talks about the dramatic lack of honesty, just everywhere, right? It's a big problem everywhere. It's a problem for politicians. It's a problem for pastors. Uh, it's a problem for teenagers. It's a problem for their parents. It's a problem for Olympic swimmers. Uh, it's a problem for uh, local youth sports coaches. It's a problem for CEOs. It's a problem for employees. Honesty is a huge problem, or I should say the lack thereof. The importance of honesty has probably never been um, more dramatically recognizable because of just the lack of it. And nowhere, I would say, is honesty more important and the lack of honesty more a problem than in my relationship with myself. Okay, so this is where I really want to focus. Here's why. If I'm not honest with myself, it is very difficult, if not impossible, to be honest with God. Okay. Um, put another way, if I don't know myself, it's almost impossible to know God. Or to put it in the negative, if I'm lying to myself, I'm going to be lying to God. Or another way, if I'm pretending to myself, then how in the world am I going to have an honest relationship with God that matters, right? that makes any kind of a difference in my life? Knowing yourself is not the same as knowing God, but this connection between the two is just so powerfully um, investigated, reflected upon, that many people talk about the two in the same sentence. It's, I'm not saying, as some do today, that I am God, and as I know myself, I then know, no, I'm, they're different, but they're so closely connected that it's impossible to do one without the other. Here's some uh, quotes that are in your notes um, from some folks who have, have uh, more authority on this than I do. Here's St. Augustine. He says this, How can you draw close to God when you're far from your own self? And he prays, Lord, grant that I may know myself, that I may know Thee. St. Teresa of Avila wrote, Almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. Almost all problems in the spiritual life stem from a lack of self-knowledge. John Calvin, a reformer, 16th century, 
our wisdom consists almost entirely in two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourself. Wisdom connected to two things, knowledge of yourself and knowledge of God. And then in this book that several of us have read in preparation for this series, this author, Peter Scazzaro, writes, awareness of yourself and your relationship with God are intricately related. Awareness of yourself and your awareness of God intricately related. And then you think about some scenes in Scripture where the main characters lie and all the damage that comes from that. Like when Abraham lies about his wife, says she's his sister. Or um, when Jacob lies to his aging blind father, pretending to be his older brother so he gets the blessing. Or when in the New Testament, when Peter lies to the servant girl out by the fire about not knowing Jesus. Or a couple weeks later, when Ananias and Sapphira, this married couple, lie to Peter about the amount of money that they're giving the church. Whenever the main characters in the stories lie, all kinds of destruction happens, and it becomes spiritual destruction. Initially, it's all kind of relational destruction, economic destruction, but ultimately, it's spiritual destruction because the lack of honesty is ultimately leads to uh, spiritual problems. A lack of honesty. We don't even have to put the adjective spiritual on it. But if we're just going to say the lack of honesty, that in and of itself is going to lead to all kinds of spiritual uh, problems. And it's not that these sorts of lies are getting punished so much as it's just the natural consequence of the lack of personal honesty in this effort to be any kind of have any kind of spiritual honesty or any kind of spiritual health, right? We, we don't want to have a relationship, any kind of a relationship with God or a spirituality that's just impotent, makes no difference. So therefore, we must enter into some kind of commitment towards honesty. Because without that, it's like the foundation of anything that matters just goes away. So what I want to do this morning is look at a powerful prayer and then I want to try to really identify and name the challenge, and then I'll offer two practical solutions um, towards a, a more honest spirituality. Here are the opening lines to a song written by King David. It's called Psalm 139 to us. That's how we would know it. He writes this song, gives it to the worship leader. They sing it in public worship. You've probably, some of you have heard, of it, heard it before. Here's how it begins. David begins, O oh Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. When English translations capitalize the word Lord, it's because the word in Hebrew is the personal name for God. So David is saying Yahweh. Oh, yeah, he's, he's referring to God by his personal name. It's very personal. And then he says, you have searched me. Uh, and the word there for search is shakar. It's this word that means to investigate. It's the verb that, that they use when they spy out the land, when they learn something, when they thoroughly explore something. And so when David is saying, you, God, you've searched me, you're so thoroughly interested in my soul that it's like you've gone on this exploration of my person, of my identity. You haven't left any rock unturned. You've investigated all the dark shadows. You know this part of the forest because you've searched me, David says, and you know me. The word there, yada, to learn, to know, to know information about, but also to know intimately and personally. As in Genesis 1, Adam knew Eve, yada, and she conceived. We're talking about really intense personal knowledge, hands-on experiential knowledge. So this is the beginning of this song that David, that David sings. 
You have, you, O Lord, you've searched me and you know me. And just that alone is such a powerful truth. You almost get the sense that David at this point then backs away and just has to sort of walk around that truth that he just articulated and sort of apply it to different parts of his life. This is what he says next. He says, you know when I sit and when I rise. He's just going to vamp on this for a minute. He's just going to sort of like go wow about this amazing truth that God has searched him in and knows him. You know when I sit, when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. You hem me in behind and before. You can't get outside the boundary. You can't get past him because he's behind you and he's before you. You've laid your hand upon me. It's not distance somewhere God up in the mountains. It's God with his hand on your shoulder knows you've laid your hand upon me. And then he's just like, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to attain. I might say something like, it's beyond my capability to really understand this. It's beyond my capacity to really get this. And then, so that's how David begins the prayer. He continues for a long time. It's a long prayer, a long song. And then the song ends like this, and it's kind of a surprising ending to me. It's kind of surprising based on how it begins. Here's how it ends. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So David begins by acknowledging this mind-blowing reality that he is known by God, that God has searched him, explored him, knows him, and then he ends by praying, God, keep doing that. Keep doing that. Keep searching my life out. Keep knowing me. Test me even. Like, put me through situations that will enable you, this is why we test things, right? To see if they're strong enough to, like, sustain whatever. We test me. Learn more stuff about me. Get my true character to come out. Why? So that you can lead me on toward life. This is all about being fully alive. This is not being about being good. This is not about like making some sort of mark on some chart. This is about being free. That's what David wants. He wants to be really alive. He wants to actually live and experience the freedom of relationship with his creator. Lead me in the way everlasting. So that's David's prayer. And he doesn't explicitly say it, but he implies that there's this inherent challenge in honestly knowing yourself and in being honestly known by others and by God. He implies an inherent challenge. That's why he begins with a declaration, God, you know me, you searched me. And then at the end, he's like, but search me more and know me more. Here's, here's the enemy, here's the challenge. Here's what he implies, doesn't explicitly say, but implies. Here's the challenge. It's deception. That's what's happening all around him. That's what's in the background of this prayer. And it's specifically self-deception. That's the problem. Tragically, this, it's self-deception that is at the core of the famous low point of David's life. When he gets involved in adultery and murder, right? Self-deception is always like kind of chirping away, chipping away at David's understanding of reality. I think that the reason it's hard to be honest, friends, isn't because we don't want to be honest. The reason it's hard to be honest isn't because we don't want to be honest. It's because we're so easily deceived. 
We're so easily tricked. We even trick ourselves. Right? Sin, by very, the very nature of sin, is deceptive. Uh, Jesus calls Satan a liar and a thief. Deception. Right? It's, so, it's so slippery. And when the ancient Christians write about deception and the importance of knowing yourself honestly, this is important. They're not talking about honesty in the um, don't tell your mom that you stole the cookie from the cookie jar kind of honesty. They're not talking about trying to trick somebody else. They're talking about this kind of subtle deception that takes root so deeply within your soul that you lie to yourself. You lie to yourself. You, you deceive yourself. Like when you have a real problem, but you say, oh, I don't have a problem, right? That's the kind of self-deception. Because you actually, and the reason you say, oh, I don't have a problem, is because you actually believe, you've actually deceived yourself into believing that that real problem is not a real problem for you. Everybody else sees that and goes, you're totally screwed up. You're totally missing it. It's obvious to the whole world, you've got a problem. But you're like, oh, I don't have a problem. What's that? That's all about self-deception right there. And the ancients talk about that kind of deception as the really subtle, heinous, destructive kind. And we would say, they're talking about honesty, is what they're talking about. So this is the genius of 12-step recovery programs, like Alcoholics Anonymous. Does anyone know the first step of the 12 steps? Admit you got a problem, right? Isn't that it? Admit you got a problem. Uh, let's be honest. That's how it begins. And I don't know if you've ever been to a meeting, um, but that's, it's just very straightforward. It's not even that fancy. It's just you, the meeting starts with, hi, I'm Nathan and I'm alcoholic. And we just go around the room, right? It's just total honesty. It's the opposite of, I don't have a problem. <laughs> it's, the, it's the counter, uh, it's like the, an, the, the, like the antidote for the, I don't have a problem. I'm Nathan and I do have a problem and I'm gonna name it. Being honest with yourself, being honest with others, and I think the root of the genius is spiritual. It's the, fact, it's the idea of being known. That's, that's the genius of it. It's more than just a public confession, but it's this idea of actually being known, knowing yourself, being known by others. And then as you are honest with yourself, you become more honest with God, and that sets you free because you are actually, we're talking about the power of being known here, and that actually leads to freedom. It's what David is experiencing when he prays, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. He's free because he's so, so known. Let me tell you a story. Uh, because of my position as a pastor, I, am, I often receive, people often confess sin to me. And so I, I often am in situations, like in groups, where I'll be in a conversation and, and I will know something about someone that's not public information. And, and sometimes I'll be in a conversation with a group of people and that sensitive issue will come up in the conversation. And the person will look at me or will do some kind of safe indication that they know that I know that they have personal experience with that issue. You follow me? But it's just really subtle. They're not pretending that they don't have a problem, but they're just not taking a private thing public. It's totally appropriate. It's totally appropriate. So I'm in a conversation like this recently and, uh, and this issue comes up, and this person with personal experience with that issue just pauses the conversation for a minute and just says, um, I just, just volunteers their own personal experience, just shares it. 
They just reveal something that some people would be ashamed of, that most people would certainly keep private. And everybody in the conversation just hesitated. Like, what do we say now? <laughs> and gratefully, the person who volunteered that personal information continued. And they just said, I just like people to know because this is part of my story and it just makes it easier if we're in a relationship, if, if you just know this about me. And I was just like, wow, that's a free person right there. That person is free. They're not trying to hide, pretend, you know, they're just like, look, they weren't dramatic about it. They weren't flamboyant about it. They weren't bragging about it. They weren't trying to make everyone look at them. They were just trying to have a real conversation. They're just trying to enter into real relationships. And they've done a lot of work in the past and they've become convinced that it's actually not imprisonment that comes from honesty, it's freedom that comes from honesty. And so they're like, this is who I am, and I just want you to know that, and I'm standing back, and I'm just going, that's amazing to me, because so, you have experienced real freedom. And I know people that carry stuff for years, I mean decades. I could tell you crazy stories, except that all my stories have to do with all of you guys, so <laughs> I can't tell them to you, right? Some of you guys have been carrying stuff for just years, and uh, you don't want to be known because you're afraid that being known will keep you from being free, when the beautiful irony is when you're known, then you're free, right? So the goal of all of this is restoration to wholeness. That's what we're about. The hope is to become whole. The hope is to become truly free. The hope is to be able to actually live, not to be stuck in this this terrible cycle of self-deception, not to be stuck in this ongoing pretending. Oh my goodness, you know how much energy it takes to pretend all the time? It's just exhausting. It saps the life out of you. You don't want to try to prop up some sort of spirituality that's supposed to look good but doesn't actually help. So here's what happens. Here's how that happens, I should say. Here's how that happens. Two practical ways to lead toward a more honest life um, within the context of, of uh, Christian spirituality specifically. First, be honest with... And, and be known by a few trustworthy people. And this always feels risky. Always feels risky because it's always a risk that is necessary in order to learn whether or not somebody is trustworthy. Okay, so don't wait to know if you trust them. You just, you always have to risk in order to be trusted, right? In order to, have to, in order to learn if the person is, is able to be trusted. So yes, it's risky, but here's what you got. You got to get into a group of people, a small group where lives are shared, for the purpose of growing spiritually, for the purpose of encouraging people towards wholeness, for the purpose of becoming um, a group of emotional supporters towards a bigger goal. In this community, we call them home groups. Some churches call them small groups, life groups, whatever. We're talking about a smaller group of people that takes this kind of community into a really intense, not necessarily intense, but a more focused and personal, smaller community. And they're powerful, friends, because they're not your five best friends. Because your five best friends think just like you do about everything. And it's powerful because it's not your three sisters. And maybe your three sisters should be invited. That'd be great. And maybe you will build friends in your home group. That always, almost, almost always happens. But the reason they're powerful is specifically because they're people who aren't just like you. And they're going to help reflect reality back to you to help you see yourself more honestly and, and really and, and help you grow in that way. Uh, this, this author, Peter Scazzaro, says there is no greater disaster um, in the spiritual life than to be immersed in unreality 
And that's what many of us do. We work really hard to insulate ourselves in a a view of reality that just just reinforces our own perspective. Um, That's what can happen when all we do is see life through our own eyes. Uh, He goes on to say, the true spiritual life is not an escape from reality. It's an absolute commitment to it. The true spiritual life is not an escape. It's a commitment to the reality of the hard stuff, right? We were talking about this earlier this morning. The hard stuff, a few of us. It's the real spiritual life comes when we like take for real that which is actually happening and we try to wrestle with that, not escape from it. So one of the practical ways to grow more honest in your life and therefore grow spiritually more whole is to meet regularly with a, with a group of people over a period of time for the specific purpose of encouraging one another in real life, in real life, right? So let me, let me pause here and, um, and ask if you are leading a home group this fall or a short class, would you stand up quickly? Uh, I just want people to connect names with faces. Go ahead, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do this really fast and, uh, because I want folks to get names and faces in case you're like, I, I think I'd like to do that. I'd like to be a part of a... So um, we're gonna start, and uh, this is the danger here. Chris, there we go, sorry, it was coming. Chris. Thanks. Uh, you're leading a men's group when? Uh, Friday evening at, uh, Great. At the church office downtown. Friday night for men's. Nick? Monday evening, 6.30, all around Good. Mondays for Loomis folks. Morgan, are you still with Nick? God bless you guys. <laughs> all right. Are you leading something else? Good. Just, just encouraging that guy. Good. All right. Uh, Larry? Great. And by the way, there's a lot more details on this form that's on the information table. Maybe you were handed out, so I'm not going to handle details here. Go ahead. Lenzians? Um, Thursdays, every other Thursday, starting the 15th in Loomis. Super. Thursdays in Loomis. Go ahead. John, Ginny? Great. <laughs> 637. Good. Pat Coons, Bob Coons? Great. Great. I'm leading a Tuesday morning men's group, 7 a.m. Tuesday mornings at the church office. Then we got a couple classes. These are like short-term classes. Josh? Sunday nights, focus on relationships, 6 to 8 in Lincoln. This is my dad, Ron. Great. It's at the Axiom, which is next door to our office downtown. 630. 6.30. Good. Details here. Sandy, our community pastor, oversees home groups. She can answer any questions you have. Did I miss anything critical? Gentry. Yes, it does. Thanks. Dinner and chaos with a lot of fun kids <laughs> on Tuesday nights. Good. You should go to that. All right. So first, thank you so much, folks, and please encourage participating in a group. That's the, that is probably the most, um, the simplest first step toward deeper spiritual honesty and therefore greater spiritual health. 
Here's a second solution and a final idea this morning. Uh, be honest with others. And then second idea, um, boy, I'm behind on slides. Here we go. Be honest with God. Second idea, be honest with God. Now, you've heard that a thousand times. This happens primarily through prayer. It happens primarily through prayer. I'm going to get real specific. Like the, like the prayer of David in Psalm 139. What's interesting about being honest with God and the thing that makes it different from being honest with others is that God already knows you, right? God already knows you. You're not telling God anything that God doesn't already know. So the reason that we're invited to be honest with God is so that in his presence, we can be honest with ourselves. And that in being honest and naming and being real with what's actually happening in our life, in the light of the presence of God, we can begin to see ourselves more accurately. God already sees you completely accurately. You're not going to tell him anything he doesn't already know. The point of being honest with God in prayer is so that you enter into a conversation specifically not with yourself, but with your creator, and you're being honest with yourself in light of his presence, God's presence with you. So it's through God and others truthfully mirroring reality back to us that we are that we know ourselves, that we're made to be more honest. Uh, a Franciscan priest that I read recently said this, if you, were, um, if you were mirrored well early in life, you don't have to spend the rest of your life looking in a mirror. If you were mirrored well early in life, and by that he means if you were known, if you were well attended, if you were carefully listened to, if you were, if you were lovingly guided through the reality of real life, if you were helped to engage in the challenges of real life, if you were mirrored well early in life, you don't have to spend the rest of your life looking in a mirror. I would put it this way. You don't have to spend the rest of your life taking pictures of yourself and posting them, hoping that somebody affirms you. You don't have to spend the rest of your life doing that, right? He says, if you've been well attended early in life, you now feel basically good. And you are able then to attend to others, to care for others. That's the power of being known, okay? It literally sets people free to care for others. Big question, okay, what if I didn't have that kind of healthy mirroring as a kid? What if I didn't have that kind of careful attending to my soul, my mind, my heart as a kid? Well, now, friends, you come to God in a spirituality that actually makes a difference as a loving father, as a holy mother, as a good parent. You come to God now for that and with that need. You come to God in a sense of honesty, like a two-year-old does to their good father and says, this is what I want, and this is why I'm crabby, and this is what I'm sad about, and this person did this to me. And you, and you bring that kind of honesty to the holy parent, the good God, and, and you begin to know yourself in, in, in light of that. You don't, so here's a start. If you want to do this tomorrow morning, this, here's a start. Begin, read Psalm 139. Read it over and over and over. Read it for a week. Read it for a month. Get into your mind, heart, soul, spirit, this sort of tone, this sort of posture, this sort of approach to God that is all about you fully know me and I'm fully exposed and I'm joyfully being honest before you. Let other people's words 
I am flat in the morning. I got nothing good to say in the morning, right? So I use other people's prayers to elevate my soul, to lift me to a higher place. So use David's prayer. It's better than yours. It just is. It's lasted way longer than anything you're going to pray. Use his prayer. Pray his prayer. Get yourself into a posture of of transparency and, and openness. And then pray to the Lord. I don't know how to pray in the Lord. Here's a suggestion. Answer this question in your prayer. What are you carrying around today? What are you carrying? What are you carrying? I don't mean what's your task list. Okay? I don't mean when you got to pick up the kids. I mean what are you carrying? What is the burden? That's what I want you to talk to God about. That's what I want you to try to put labels on and name it, right? Rich and I were in Africa watching these people carry burdens. What are you carrying like a burden? What is bending you over under its weight? You don't want to talk about it because it brings up emotion in you that is difficult to deal with. And now we're talking about a spirituality that makes a difference, right? Now we're talking about being known. What are you carrying? Friends, every Sunday, every Sunday, we pray this, Almighty God, to you, all hearts are open, all desires are known, from you no secrets are hid. The prayer leading to honest and real communion with God begins with an acknowledgement of our being totally honest and totally known by God. Amen? So may you be given the grace that you will need to take steps into a more honest relationship with God so that you may know yourself more honestly, so that you may have a more honest relationship with God, so that you may be more mirrored and understanding of yourself, so that ultimately you would be so full that you'd be able to help others, and you'd be able to work for the restoration of all things. Because you haven't arrived, but you've been doing some good work inside, and you're getting healthier, and you're becoming whole. Amen? Let's pray together. We love you, Lord, and we're grateful for your care for us that it's so thorough that your interest in us is, is uh, so exhaustive. And I, I'm grateful and I, I believe that uh, based on what I'm reading in Scripture, that there's nothing that's too small and there's nothing that's too heinous and evil and horrible for you to handle. Um, and I just pray for the courage that we need to take a step towards honesty. Let's be honest. And uh, we pray that you would enable us to do so for our sake, for the sakes of those who look to us for love, so that we could give it for your sake, for the sake of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.